life can get pretty complicated. In the Simply Practically Human podcast, Mark Labusk talks to incredible humans to see the way forward more clearly through the complexity in the world and in our heads. Let's get ready to thrive. Hey there, fellow humans, Mark Labusk here again, back for the second half of our two-part chat about intentional living with Dr. Yvonne Sun. If you missed last week's chat, it's in the podcast feed, and I'd encourage you to go back and give it a listen. Here's a bit of what she shared with us. Intentional living is when one makes a decision that you have an intention to live daily in the way that is most purposeful and meaningful for yourself, that you live your mission daily, not, not till the end of the earth, of your days when you're on your deathbed saying, oh, did I meet my purpose? But really understanding who are you modeling to the people around you? Who, who are you modeling to your kids that you can really live the best life, love the things and the people that you do, love yourself enough so that you can leave a legacy of great living. So that's intentional living. Let's jump back into the chat with Yvonne, and we'll start by talking about the pandemic, which Yvonne is very much stuck in at the moment, locked down in Shanghai when we spoke. What effect have COVID and the lockdowns had on intentional living? It's almost like we've had probably earthquakes, you know. Mother Nature is bigger than us, you know. Yep. She can create storms to wipe us out. I mean, really, because we're probably the greatest plague that has plagued the planet, right? <laughs> so she yep. wanted to wipe us out. I really think, you know, like when there's too much food and she brings in locusts, right? She, she's a great balancer. So thank goodness to Mother Nature. So she decides, you know what? I'll send in a little virus. You know, let's not make it big. Let's have a little something smaller than a human being. And that will send them to their rooms to let them think about <laughs> how naughty they have been. And when they actually know what they can do and are really apologetic, then I'll let them come out. Maybe we'll fix this problem together. I mean, that's really how I see it. I know it sounds almost humorous, but we have been sent it to our rooms by Mother Nature so that we can actually seriously think about how we have contributed to this. It's not just some accident of nature. I really think it is evolution. And in a way, she gave a really drastic thing until, until now. Maybe it's infectious, but it's not that virulent. So maybe, you know, you, you, you're starting to learn. Who knows? So to me is watching it from China, who has a different, you know, before I came to China three years ago, I was very much influenced by the Western press. And in fact, I felt oppressed that I should be going to China. There's a really modern girl who probably looks more like Mulan, but really behaves more <laughs> like a, let's try someone else in the West. Anyway, so I came to China, I was quite scared. But when I landed, because I've come here for business, you know, for a week or two, you know, just doing some training, but never really seeing the, the place. And, and in 10 years from the last visit that I came to 2019, when I landed here, chalk and cheese, you know, there was so much things advanced here in Shanghai. Like it was probably the best city I've ever lived in. Yeah. And I've lived in various cities in the world, you know, not only in Australia. I mean, I visited my, my sister and, and lived a short period in uh, New York, LA. I mean, we've all been to London, I guess. I've lived in Qatar and in Doha, walked across to Dubai. So it's one of the most amazing cities in the world because you can get anything at the drop of hat. Digital economy is there. You never have to carry a wallet. Everything's in the smartphone. Everything's so progressive. And then when the pandemic hit, what really amazed me was, because I remember I was actually interviewed by a guy called David Zacchiello, 
uh, he's Italian and he he was running a podcast as a, as a leadership consultant to interview people from different parts of the world. And I was nominated by one of my colleagues to say that she's in Shanghai, I want you to interview her. And I remember I was still in my mask and we were at work because it was in April. So we were just one, I think one week back from our two month lockdown, but we were back at work when the rest of the world was going into serious lockdown. And we were wearing masks that was to protect others, not me. Yes. So I remember that the whole thing about China was we want to have a dynamic zero COVID. So we will track COVID will come, but we will make sure that the rest of the population is protected because there are still some people who have chosen not to vaccinate and they could be old people. A lot of the young people got vaccinated because they are the producers and they're the ones that are driving the economy. But a lot of the older people made the choice not to because it was, oh, I'm going to die anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. but, but to protect the whole, the community went behind it. It was not like our government told us to and we have to. It's more like, hey, and if somebody wasn't wearing a mask, you'll have someone on the street telling you, please put a mask on. You could be infecting an, an auntie, right? So, so it was just, there was a certain community spirit that you didn't feel like you were doing it against your freedom. You were doing it for the community. It was very cooperative. So it was, uh, again, a really memorable experience because I used to see like these guys are not very progressive, but they had a democracy for the people, not by the people, but I guess they, they actually listened because I know when Wuhan, there was this outbreak coming, it was social media, young people who were actually asking the question before Beijing brought in the medical people to actually listen to this noise. So it's not like they just Ah, uh, it's just young people. They do listen. So I, I thought that was the first thing. And the second thing that they were also looking at as the whole world was just letting Omicron run riot. They were still quite pedantic around, let's try our best to do this COVID safety and everybody cooperates. So even to the point where we are now locked down and we cannot get supplies of food because our delivery boys and all that are also in lockdown. And we need to protect other cities from coming in, except for medical staff. So we've got three other cities coming to support. 26 million is the largest city that has been in lockdown in China. Up until then, the largest was, I think, Jilin for, at 13 million. Or yeah. was it Shenzhen? And there was this rallying. Of course, there's always the noise that, you know, in China, food is really important. They, they came from a cultural revolution where there was lack of food. But then the government sent packs, you know, like, essentials, uh, rice, oil, fresh vegetables, fruits. And it's unheard of. That's why I was taking pictures like, oh my God, that's a, another basket of things. And all the vaccines, all the um, PCR tests and all of the medical, there are doctors in those tents coming in every other day to test each one of us, 26 million people. So there is this dedication, which I haven't seen. Because you're going to hear some news, like I said, there's little pockets where people get upset, of course. And of course we are upset, but that's human behavior as well because maybe it's lack of food because we're so used to that, that famine mentality that they had to live through. People under 30 have not known anything but growth. So they trust their government. People under 30 trust their government unconditionally. I mean, I shouldn't say unconditionally, I don't know their minds, but it really is something that I haven't seen. So, so to me is, is COVID teaching us a contrast frame as well? That yes, you have the free will to look after your people in the old way, but are you being ethnocentric or are you being world-centric? Because yes. I think at some point, 
I'm not saying that China is trying to show off to the rest of the world. They're saying, like, I'm not just going to follow the world, but maybe there is a way we can do this. Like, we are hospitalizing those people who are sick. We're not sending them home. In fact, the asymptomatic, we've actually converted expo centers and stadiums into bunkers so that we can actually monitor them. Now, that does sound like really tough. And I, in a way, I'd be really upset if I had to go to one of them. But I just think, that, again, a little inconvenience maybe for the greater good. I have a little discomfort about not having my own bed, but hey, who knows? So what's yep. taught me is this intentional living is China choosing to live into their values. And maybe the West is living to their values where freedom is more important. Here, protection of the greater community, including our old people, is more important. Thanks for, again, sharing that. There's a couple of things I'll mention, but this is the idea of what's right because everyone's got their opinion of what's right and maybe they have their own value set, their own choices and things. And we do spend a lot of time trying to convince others of, of our rightness. And I think there's been that ethnocentric, there's been a lot of that going on. A couple of things you said, I've never heard this before, but I loved it. The greatest plague of all are humans. Yeah, that's like, think about that for a moment, fellow listeners, about what, what happens there. And And the other one, and I sort of had heard this a little bit before, but we got sent to our rooms. And I remember when, when I was a kid and I got sent to my room, which happened frequently, as much as you first went into your room and you were a bit shitty that you'd been sent to your room, I reckon after three or four minutes, you started to think about why you were there. And I reckon that this has, what started to happen early days anyway, was that people did think a bit about why they were there. And they also started to think, if you think of intentional living, about what was really important to them, which was a lot of times was health and family and the things I think we've started to lose touch with because other things have been put in front of that, like I'm going to say career and the, the size of the office or the size of or how close your car got parked to the building or whatever else it might have been. So I think you've, I think you've hit on some things here that I think of them as the things we should be simply thinking about as humans, and I'm going to take you now to a question which I don't know, I have no idea where you're going to go with this one. You, you may have a very different view to me, but I actually think that as human beings, we like to we like to chase the complex and the complicated. And at times, there's some simple things that we know we know to be true and whatnot, but we we don't go to them because maybe it's not sexy enough. It's I don't look smart enough. But what are your thoughts around? human beings being romanced by the flame of the complicated and the complex versus stepping towards what they know to be the simple and human answers to things. Have you got any thoughts around that? Yes, I, I, I guess that I've never really thought about it until you asked the question. But yes, so sometimes there's an easy solution, but we want to make it more difficult than it is. And, and I'm going to quote Ken Wilber again. He was talking at this conference I'm going to quote him. I'm going to also quote another guy called Dr. Srini Pillay, who is a psychiatrist, a scientist, and also a musician. But go figure that one. <laughs> so Ken Wilber was talking about the fact that in 300,000 years, human beings have really evolved very, very slowly in terms of moving away from just maybe looking after themselves, but more in a tribal situation. So the ethnocentric thing has remained. So, and we've been driven by fear. So our amygdala hijack, you know, the, our survivors, the one that could protect themselves, you know, because the fear 
animated or activated them to survive are our ancestors. So we are driven and triggered by fear. Yep. So anything that is uncertain or complex, we want to solve, right? So we, we, we move towards something that's out of fear. We don't want it's the fear of missing out or whatever it is. So, but the other part of us that's very unevolved is the compassionate human being, the one that forgives, the one that can look to the other, <laughs> to the other tribe and say, maybe they're human too, <laughs> because that doesn't protect us. So we are very friendly to our own, but we are very awful to those who are not like us. And it could be anything from men and women, you know, dark skin, not dark skin. It could be, you know, educated, not educated. Right? They could be, or, you know, American and Australian. <laughs> yep. It could be, right? It doesn't matter. We, we pick that. So he said, so if you think about it, he said, in the last 200 years, at the age, during the time of enlightenment and renaissance, we suddenly found the beauty of science because we can be objective and the rational mind and action orientation to deliver results was really rewarded. So in the last 200 years or so, all of science that we know was, was really built and, and developed and technology has raced ahead of ourselves. And we've used fear about missing out on being the, the best in this and that and the other in science so that we've separated that human, emotional, maybe even spiritual side of ourselves to survive in this very fast-changing world. So we've raced ahead in the last 200 years in science, but it's only in the last 150 years we've really stopped slavery and think it was not right. Yeah. In the last 150 years from 300,000 of years of evolution. So it made me think that maybe that's why we've, where we're at, we cannot solve our problems until we we can actually learn how to practice compassion, to practice forgiveness, and maybe being grateful, having the choice to pause and actually work in, on that kind of stuff. So on the other hand, also, I was, I was looking at Srini Pillay, who says, okay, so that was the big worldview of Ken Wilber. And on the self side, he said, if you look at human beings, we are actually very connected. And really, we should be thinking about the other, but because when you, when, when you think about it, he said, you could be on Zoom with me, but what if we are connected already? The technology we created from 200 years ago has allowed us to enable these electrons to flow through so it's easier to connect. So you can actually see me. But if I was to see you, your mirror neurons are being triggered and my mirror neurons are being triggered as well. So in seeing you at the back of my brain is something called the occipital, I can't remember what it is, part of the brain. Yep. In order for me to actually perceive you and have a conversation, Mark, I, I need to have you inside my brain. Mm. So whenever we perceive the other, you have to be inside me. You have to be a part of me. You have to be one with me before I can even relate to you. But often we don't live stream and have this really human, unscripted flow of a conversation, looking at what possibilities come, we, we go to our hard drive and say, I, I need to look good. So I'm going to look at when I was really successful on Zoom on the podcast and I'll, I'll pull out that Yvonne and I'll project it and hope that, you know, Mark, <laughs> so, I mean, frozen in time talking to you, but not having this really nice, I'm not even feeling you inside me because I've still got my my video playing, because I paused you now, a video playing of how I should play Yvonne so that she looks good on Zoom. So what I loved about him was he said also we came from one 
embryonic cell where two gametes came together. So all of our cells are connected for starters. So we are one <laughs> in ourselves. And if you bring another into you, because you have to perceive them in your brain, we are all one. And it doesn't matter. This is just technology that we created, quite crude. But if we didn't have the technology and we know about prayers and all that, that, that resonates energetically through the universe, because we can probably go beyond, you know, energy goes beyond the skull, goes beyond your body, goes umpteen distances. So I don't know why I answered that from both points of view, because your question was provocative. Now, what was your question again? I no, no, I, I, absolutely, I actually like what you've said. My question was about why do we get romance by the flame of complexity? But I think with what you just said about well, both parts of it, I'm going to pick up on the first part around Ken Wilber when you talked about compassion and empathy and connectedness and all these sorts of things, what came into my mind straight away, Yvonne, was KPIs. There are no KPIs for those things, but there are KPIs for revenue, cost, you know, growth and all this sort of stuff. So I, I picked that up. But then then secondly, when you I've written this down on my page here. First of all, I loved it when you talked about unscripted, because that's what we are today. We're at, we have no script. We've come on and we're connecting that way. And then you said at the end of the day, we are connected as one, and this is the work from Pillay. Now, I wrote down then, maybe that's just too simple for us to accept as human beings. We need something that's more complicated and complex. And, and that I think that really struck a chord with me that what if we started to think like that? Right. So I, I think you've answered the question absolutely Brilliantly, and yeah. um, and you know, you picked up a whole lot of things in there around fear and uncertainty, and how we we sort of have to know, we have to know the answers, and and look smart. But no, you've done a bloody amazing job, as I as I knew you would. I'm going to round us out with. There's been so much stuff going on here about mirror neurons, and we've talked about parenting, and we've talked about marriages, <laughs> and like we've we have gone around the world. But this is what we did that time when we sat down at that table in the break. 10 years ago or so, where can people who will be absolutely curious to know more about the incredible work and not just that, but the thoughts that you have, where can they connect with you? Let me, let me preface by saying that most people are welcome. I have a website, so you can go to dryvonsum.com. Actually, I haven't really revamped my site, so it's it's got a lot of material for resourcing. I haven't really had time to run a lot of courses or anything at this point. I haven't written any book beyond intentional parenting because I think it's going to be a classic, and it's going to be basically that's how I teach. So if you want to reach out to me, you can contact me there. But if not, you can you can write straight to me at CEO. Chief Energy Officer at drivonsum.com. And I'm likely to look at that because I don't always look at my wet mail from the the, the site. So reach me out there because I also want to also put put it out there that one of my big things is when I came to China was I was invited as an external consultant to come in to become an internal consultant within the L'Oreal group because they're also doing amazing things around human beings in, in the transformation called simplicity. In other words, going back to the basics of empowering our people and our leaders also need a little bit of help. So in order that I don't actually get just pulled out of my consultant's objectivity into a full-time job, they give me 20% of my time to actually go out there and do stuff like this and and maybe uh, you know consult with CEOs or whatever it is that's not in 
a competitive industry so that I can continue to sharpen my axe. Nice. So currently, I do a lot of work for NGOs or whatever it is. And certainly here in Shanghai, because they have a lot of support groups and a lot of people can't afford to have a therapist. So I do a two-hour session on intentional living or intentional pairing, depending on the group. And it's like this. It's unscripted. You rock up if you want to get the book first and read a chapter and come and talk to me as a book club. You can do that. So you can buy a book and then have a conversation with me. I'm happy to do that. Uh, and the book is not for me. It's a message that I can't reach so many people. So if you can read it and it helps you, that's great. Because I know during the pandemic, one of the managers was coming home to Australia and she got my book as a gift because I read a Parenting in VUCA free webinar within L'Oreal during that lockdown. And she was reading that and she says, like, bloody hell, it's coaching posture for parents. I love it. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So then we start having conversations about how we can also do stuff in, in, in her teams and all that. But anyway, that's a, a, an aside. So how I do do this is I have people who have actually seen me at different times in some of these NGOs and have reached out to me to do maybe two or three programs, sometimes in couples, uh, sometimes as two friends, uh, sometimes in a small group or sometimes individually on how can I really activate this intentional living in me. And we have these conversations where we live stream together. They come in, we first work on what really intentional living means for them, but coming through storytelling like we're doing right now. And then we book another every week for the next two or three weeks until they came to a point where they felt like, yeah, I've been practicing for four weeks. I, I can do this on my own. Thank you, Yvonne. And on off you go. So I don't believe in long, you know, like, long therapy. It's not therapy, it's coaching. Yep. So I live stream like this. Stories come out with, from them. Stories come up from me. Maybe I'll bring up a framework if it came out, was useful for them, if they're very structured people. And then they do a little action planning. So it's very, very much a coaching posture. And then they walk away with what they need because they have the answers in them all the time. I just ha happen to hold the container for them. And that essentially is I love it. So just on that too quickly while I think about it, um, intentional parenting, if someone wants to purchase a copy of that, that book now, where do they go to get the book? Right now you can go to Penguin Random House because they've been merged with Penguin, Penguin Random House and you can definitely get, uh, I think, the Kindle copy. The hard copy at the moment is a, a large print one because they, they did it especially for disabled people. Yep. But I think at the moment they are also printing on request. So if you don't get it on Amazon, if you've got enough of a request of 10 books or more, they'll, they'll print it for you. If they, if you have a group that you want to share this with, drop me a line at CEO at drebotsum.com. I will liaise with my publisher and I'll give, give you my author's discount so that they can sell the books directly to you at author's discount. And you do what you may with it. You just deal direct with them after that. But I've, I've been able to get books out to people at, at a really good rate because sometimes certain places have not got the book published or, or in your city or whatever it is. And within Australia, shipping is free. Yep. So outside that you're going to pay for shipping as well. So make the numbers count, I suppose. I'm not selling the book per se, but if the message of what we're saying is important and the book is a good starting point, then reach out to me. Yes. Or if you reach out to Mark and you've lost my email, you know, Mark, you can, I can, you can forward I can, that. I can forward it on to them as well. So first impressions are always lasting ones. And I said energetic, and that hasn't changed in 10 years because your energy you've brought to this uh, conversation, an unscripted conversation between two human beings today has been incredible. Dr. Yvonne, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And I want to thank you because 
you have brought to my network, I guess, people who might actually need this message at this time when living does seem a little less intentional and forced. So I really thank you for inviting me again. I hope we have another conversation again soon. Well, that's the two parts with Yvonne. It's Mark here again. Don't forget to check out Yvonne's book, Intentional Parenting. And and also, if you do want, she said to reach out to her on her website, be in touch and have a conversation with an unscripted conversation on intentional living. Hey, if you love this one, as I say, please rate it as five stars and give us a reason as to why you loved it. If you liked it, share it with your friends. You might have some friends that perhaps could learn as I have today, and I'm sure you have from the wisdom, the openness and the vulnerability of Yvonne Sum and um, share it with them. But until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical and keep it human. Bye for now. Bye for now.